the thing that's been exciting, and I don't have the exact facts on this this morning, but apparently um, our services are getting downloaded around the world. Um, Randy's able to track that somehow, and uh, we have downloads from the East Coast, we have downloads from Africa, we have downloads in the middle of the country. So we want to say hello to Africa this morning, because some of them are listening. And uh, isn't that exciting that, that our little church is, is getting spread around the world? So that's great. All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles 14. Our main passage is going to be chapter 16, verses 7 to 9, but we'll get there in a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry, kids, you are excused. Forgive me. Thank you for being in with us. Second Chronicles chapter 14. This is kind of an obscure little passage, but it holds a lot of important spiritual principles for us. In my preparation uh, as we have launched the church and in my preparation to uh, preach and, and kind of uh, discern from the Lord what he would have us to study, I've been very intentional in not starting with a series because, uh, as I always do, wanted to listen to the Lord, get his direction, but really wanted to be open and free to be able to study what the Spirit put on us that week. And um, that's really been exciting. Sometimes it's a little bit challenging. But it's interesting how the Lord has given us certain themes. We saw at the Christmas season, we studied about the leading of the Lord. I'd never preached that before, never even really seen that, that angle, so to speak, with the Christmas story. But we studied several messages uh, out of that. And now as we've moved into um, last Sunday and then Wednesday night, was it Wednesday night, a wonderful service for those of you that are here? Boy, I, I hope next time we have a prayer meeting you come because that was just such a wonderful time with the Lord. And last Sunday and Wednesday and then this morning, um, the Lord has, has kind of drawn us to a study of how we listen to the Lord and how we call on the Lord and, and when the Lord will be with us. And we're going to look at that again this morning with another king of Judah. His name is Asa, King Asa of Judah. And I hope that in saying that at the start, that uh, none of us are annoyed or distracted or, or irritated by repetition. I was struck as I was studying, this is very similar to what we studied last week, and yet there, there are a lot of different truths that the Lord wants to, to teach us. And the fact that the Spirit brings us back to the same things, and you've heard me say before, whenever the Spirit repeats something, He wants us to pay extra attention. He wants us to have an extra ear spiritually, so to speak, where we would be sensitive to what He's saying to us and, and, and what He wants us to hear, not only as believers, but as a church. These are specific studies just for us. It struck me last night that there's no other church this morning on the face of the earth, there's no other group of believers that's getting this exact message. There's no other group of believers around the world that's focusing on this exact theme this morning. God wants to instruct us this way. Think about that. That's very unique. And we have to, at that point, see it both as an incredibly joyful privilege that the Holy Spirit has a specific message for us, but we also have to see it as a very weighty responsibility. Because once we hear what he will tell us, and I just want to get out of the way this morning. I want him to speak. So once we hear what he tells us, it's our responsibility then to be accountable for it and to live by it. Because he wants to shape our hearts and our minds, and he wants to direct us as a church from the start. Now we've seen throughout 
study over the years that the kings, the history of the kings is very up and down. And spiritually, as we said last week, they're more up and down than up. And the nation just kind of goes through this volatile roller coaster spiritual swing that affects not only their spirituality, but affects their strength as a nation and affects their standing in the world at that point. So, so there's all kinds of problems. Asa comes into power. George, if you would put that one slide up of the nations. Somebody, uh, Scott Peterson in the church gave me a laser pointer. It's so cool. I have a little, I can point it at you now. Asa came into power when the nations divided. It was just after the nations divided. If you can see just where I'm pointing, this is the tribe of Benjamin, and this is the tribe of Judah right here. So that was considered Judah. Everything else was Israel. Asa was the king over Judah, and early on, Judah had more kings than Israel did. It was a lot more unstable. Asa comes into power as the king of Judah. Israel was how many tribes? Tell me. No, Israel, the, after they divided, Israel was how many tribes? Ten. Judah was how many? Two. You're slow this morning. You're quiet. Israel was how many tribes? Oh, see that? Isn't that going to make you feel better? Judah was how many tribes? Okay? So he's the king over two tribes, two important tribes, because it's where Jerusalem was. Now, his dad's name was Abijah. Abijah was the son of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon, who was the son of David. So we've got David, the king after God's own heart. We've got Solomon, who started well and then followed a thousand women. We've got Rehoboam, who with Jeroboam divides the nation into two. After Rehoboam is Abijah, and then after Abijah is Asa. Now, like many kings, Abijah started strong, but he wanders away from God. Morally, he was a loser. He brought idolatry. He brought corruption. He brought wickedness into Judah. He ended up with 14 wives, 38 children. He could not make up his mind. And spiritually, he was a mess. But when Asa takes over, Asa doesn't follow the steps of his weak father. Asa follows the Lord. And it says in the passage, we'll read in a moment, that the Lord helps Judah and he gives them peace. Now let's get some context on how it all starts for him. Look at chapter 14 and verse 2. Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God, for he removed the foreign altars and high places and tore down the sacred pillars and cut down the ashram and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah and the kingdom was undisturbed under him. Drop down to verse 9. Now Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and he came from Marisha. So Asa went out to meet him and they drew up in battle formation in the valley of Zarephath in, at Marisha. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one beside you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord God, for we trust in you and in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Now when Asa becomes king, 
he does the right things. He pleases the Lord by removing all the altars and the high places and the, and the Asherah, which were places of idol worship. And he even commands Judah, you must seek the Lord. Can you imagine a president of the United States giving that executive order? You have to seek the Lord God, Jehovah. He commands the people, this is what we're going to do. This is how serious I am about spiritual reform after my loser dad led us the wrong way. We are going to get right with the Lord. And there's no arguing with the success that Asa has. The nation is undisturbed. There's no war with anybody. There's strength and stability. Hmm, that's an interesting concept for a nation, to follow the Lord. Strength, stability, security, peace. And now Asa builds a strong army, and he has 580,000 men, almost over half a million men. But uh-oh, here comes trouble. The Ethiopians come from the southwest, and they not only have half a million men, they have a million men. Now insert some probable questions here that the people were probably starting to think, and maybe Asa even thought them. All right, where's the Lord? Why, why has God allowed this? We've served him, we've gotten right spiritually, and all of a sudden there's opposition. All of a sudden there's an army twice as big as us that's coming. Why do we have difficulty and challenge and opposition when we've been faithful to seek the Lord and to trust the Lord? We may even deal with those kinds of doubts sometimes. But the thing is, there's no formula, there's no simple formula when you, when you serve the Lord. Study the apostles, study Stephen, study Paul, study all throughout the New Testament. Those men and women were right in the center of God's will and they faced hardship that we can't possibly imagine. We have to break out of the temporal thinking that these 75 or 85 or 95 years or however many years we get from the Lord, that, that this is what it's all about. Because the Lord only cares about our eternity. Yes, He watches over us now. Yes, He cares for us now. Yes, He's concerned what happens in our life. Don't get me wrong. But His bottom line is eternity. And you know what? So is the enemy's. The enemy really doesn't care what happens to you tomorrow unless he can twist it for your eternity. So we have to start to think eternally more and more, not just what's going to happen to me this week and what's the hardship I'm facing, what's the trial, what's the joy. That, that's good and it's important and it's part of life. But, but that's not the end goal. The end goal is not what happens here. The end goal is our lives forever. Now, Ace is in one of those situations right now. So what does he do? we have to imagine that the nation starts to worry a little bit, right? If an army twice as big as you, a million people, a million-man army, that's huge. They're coming up and they're starting to sweep and they're starting to head to Judah. And i got to think the nation gets wind of this and says, what are we going to do? Look at what Asa does. In verse, 14, in verse 7 of chapter 14, he says, let me remind you first. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord. See, Ace is a man at this point of spiritual perception and remembrance, and that wasn't common. We know that from studying the Old Testament. Spiritually, he perceives that not a problem. The land is ours. God's still with us. We don't have a problem here. 
He gives the Lord all credit for their revival and their revitalization. And He prods Judah to care about the things that God cares about. Righteousness and holiness and justice and mercy. And He says you need to shun the things that offend God, that God is against immorality and corruption and idolatry. And then we see in chapter 14, verse 11, it says that Asa called on the Lord his God. This is one of the most beautiful prayers in the Old Testament. And I want you to see, there's no strategizing in it. He doesn't say to God, all right, Lord, give us some clues now. How do you want me to, how many of you want to run this battle? Should I put my left flank out here, my right flank, and, and should we come around behind them, or should I take a direct on assault? What kind of infantry do you want us to use? Do you want us to go on horses, or should we go on feet? He, he's not asking for details. He's not even asking for strategy. Notice in the prayer, this is all he says. Lord, there's no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. That is always us unless the Lord's involved. We always have no strength. So help us, Lord, because we trust in you and we fight in your name. You're our God. Don't let man prevail against what? Not us. Don't let man prevail against what? Tell me. You. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, Lord, don't let the Ethiopians take us captive. Don't let us lose this battle. Don't let us, don't let us, don't let us. He says, Lord, we're nothing without you. We have no strength without you. You're our only hope. So you fight the battle. And don't let man prevail against you like man has a chance of prevailing against the Lord. And look at how the Lord responds to this humble, trusting prayer. He routs the enemy. Isn't it amazing what happens when God's people pray? The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Listen, don't dance with analysis about that verse. Don't try to finesse it or, or, or say, well, what, but this, or, or but this, or God's this, or I'm this. Listen, the verse doesn't say, hey, there are all these add-ons. It says, you have not because you ask not. What an epitaph for a church. They didn't ask for my presence and my power and my wisdom. I had so much more I wanted to give them, but they never asked. Can you imagine? And yet I think more often than not, God looks at his church and he looks at his people and he says, you don't have because you didn't ask. Believer, I wanted to do so much more in your life. I wanted to help you. I wanted to guide you. I wanted to heal you. I wanted to secure you. I wanted to fix your marriage. I wanted to help you with your kids. I wanted to direct your past. I wanted to give you a future that's beyond anything you can imagine. But you know what? You never asked. You never trusted me. You never said, Lord, I want to be in the center of your will. You just kept doing your own thing and waiting for me to magically appear like a genie and do it all for you. But you never asked me. The Bible says he is the rewarder of those who diligently what? Seek him. Diligently seek him. 
Notice here in chapter 14 that the Lord gives a complete victory. And what struck me, I've studied this text many times, there's no statement in the text about how the army did. You ever notice that? Look at it. Uh, see if I can find it. Verse 12. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. It doesn't say Asa's battle strategy was unbelievable. And the generals fought, and the soldiers fought, and the horses rode, and it was amazing. And, and what happened is Judah came in over here, and the Ethiopians tried to... But there's none of that. There's one verse. And the Lord routed the Ethiopians, and they fled. How many know that when the Lord works, our efforts like dust? It's all Him. How many want it to be that way in our lives and in our church? Can you imagine the confidence that comes from that and the power that comes from that? I would think you would never forget that. And yet He's displayed that power in our own lives. And how often do we forget about it and run right back into the bondage of sin and then say, oh God, just please forgive me again. Look at verse 14. The opposition cities are destroyed and the ravaged. Very interesting phrase in the middle of verse 14. They destroyed all the cities around Gerar for the dread of the Lord had fallen on them. Their fear of God is so great as a nation and the fear of God then goes into the Ethiopians and they realize they're fighting a battle against something that they cannot defeat. And it's not battle strategy, and it's not swords. It's the dread of the Lord, the fear of the Lord that wins the battle. Now, as soon as the victory's won, chapter 15 now, a prophet appears. And Asa gets a warning from the Lord from Azariah. Now, maybe that name sounds familiar to you if you were here last week. You may remember it from our study of Uzziah. And though we can't prove it from the text... This may be the same Azariah who went into the temple with the 80 priests and confronted Uzziah for his sin. I looked at the timeline of this. Asa was Uzziah's great, 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 great grandfather. And over the span of the time from chapter 15 of 2 Chronicles to chapter 26 of 2 Chronicles, when Azariah goes in and confronts Uzziah, it's about 170 years. We know people live longer that time, so there is a possibility that this Azariah in chapter 15 is the same Azariah that's going to end up going to Uzziah. But really, it doesn't matter because either way, the Lord has a message for Asa. And it's a very, very serious warning that's going to greatly impact the future of his life and his reign. Look at chapter 15. Now, the Spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he'll let you find him. But if you forsake him, he'll forsake you. Good verse to memorize this week. For many days Israel without the true God, and without a teaching priest, and without law, but in their distress they turned to the Lord God of Israel, and they sought him, and he let them find him. In those days there was no peace to him, who went out, or to him who came in, for many disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. Nation was crushed by nation, and city by city, for God troubled them with every kind of distress. 
But you, Asa, be strong and do not lose courage. Sounds like Joshua 1. For there is reward in your work. In verse 2, Azariah is giving Asa what I'm calling the conditional rule of God's presence. The conditional rule of God's presence. Let me read this passage in Green's, excuse me, let me read verse 2 in Green's literal translation, which is just the exact words of the text without any extra words to help us understand, because I think it will help us see the verse more clearly. Listen to this. Jehovah is with you while you are with him. And if you seek him, he'll be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, the conditional rule of God's presence has three parts. First of all, the Lord is with you when you are with him. The Lord is with you when you are with him. He's always present. He's always ready. And many times he'll approach us to draw us toward himself. But it's an inescapable law that when we walk with him and yield to him and trust him and obey him, in other words, when we're completely surrendered to him and abide in him, then he will abide with us completely and without fail and there will be no separation. Now as long as we abide with the Lord, we have that guarantee. You abide with me, I'll abide with you. If you walk with me, I'll walk with you. If you're with me, I'll be with you. That is a guarantee and a promise that God cannot break. But if we wander away from him and get independent and freelance like Asa will and like Uzziah did, then the guarantee is off. It's conditional. It's based on our actions. Then the second rule is, if you seek him, he'll be found by you. God doesn't require our presence. He doesn't require our relationship to be God. He doesn't sit around like a needy person waiting for us to show up and visit with him. He's got other things to do. But he does desire for us to be in his presence, and he wants us to desire it too. And he says, when you call on me, I will be found. So call on me. Now, like Paul at Cornelius' house, when the scales dropped from his eyes and he could see again, when we seek him, the scales of confusion and frustration and lack of direction will drop from our spiritual eyes and everything then will become clear and we will be able to see how he's always been there and how he's led us and how his will is best and how we have hope and security in our future when he is with us. So many times we wander around, we're like, I don't know what's going to happen next. And I'm, I'm, I'm asking and I'm trying to have faith, but I don't know what God wants. And, and I just, I wish I could figure it out. Listen, some of that's humanity and some of that is God continuing to test our faith. But more often than not, it's not us falling on our face and saying, God, I want no part of this. You just do it. How often do we pray like that? I mean, sincerely pray like that. Lord, my hands are off. I will not touch it. I will not try to tell you what I want or what I need or what I think is best. My hands are off. You just do it. I'm not being passive. I'm being submissive. You lead. I'll follow. I won't complain. How many times do we pray like that? Or do we pray with conditions? God says, you seek me, 
you'll see. I'll show you. I'll prove I've been faithful. You remember all the times I stood by you when you didn't even know it. I'll show you that my way's best. I'll show you that I have plans that you can't imagine. I will show you that I will give you hope and security. I will show you that I will never fail you. I will never forsake you. I will never turn my back on you as long as you walk with me. So you seek me, I'll be found. Converse is true. If we don't seek him, things will never be clear. We'll walk around with spiritual cataracts all the time. Bumping into things, wondering what comes next, worried, concerned, fearful, anxious, everything the Philippians 4 talks against. And we'll say, I just don't know why the Lord's not working. Well, maybe it's because you haven't given yourself wholly to Him. Maybe you haven't taken your hands off of it. Maybe you're still saying, well, I just, I just, I just want to steer with one finger. God says, get your hands off the wheel. Let me lead. Third principle, if you forsake him, what will happen? He'll forsake you. Those should be absolutely chilling words to us. Do you know what forsake means there? It means to leave, abandon, neglect, and desert. Let's reread it. If you leave, abandon, neglect, and desert your relationship with the Lord, if you take that posture with him, he'll take that posture with you. And I cannot imagine anything worse than having the Lord leave, abandon, neglect, and desert us. I'm not talking losing salvation here. I'm talking God's hand being taken off of us and Him saying, fine, you want to control your life? Knock yourself out. It's like Saul at the end of his life when he starts to lose his spiritual mind and he's so ravaged by jealousy and ravaged by the fact that he's blown it, and he goes to the witch at Endor, and he says, tell me what's going to happen. And she calls up the spirit of Samuel. Strange passage. And Samuel says, tomorrow, you and your sons are dead. But what's chilling about that passage is it says, and the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Oh, may that never be true of our lives. May that never be true of our church. Azariah uses the past history of Israel to illustrate the conditional fact, the conditional rule of God's presence. Even though they're in civil war, even though they divided two nations, they wouldn't be one again until 1948. He says, do you remember the time, Asa, when there was no teaching priest and there was conflict through the land and there was no law and Israel's only answer was to turn the Lord and to cry out for help. And you know what the Lord did? He helped them immediately. Asa, listen now. Listen. I'm probably going to repeat these words in 170 years to your great, 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 great grandson. Be of courage. Follow the Lord. Keep seeking Him. These are prophetic words. Don't blow it. Be strong and walk with perseverance because that's always the first thing that gets attacked, church, our perseverance. He says, walk with perseverance and there will be a reward. Listen, this is the critical moment of Ace's life. He has to determine whether this is the word of the Lord and it obviously is. 
And then second, he has to determine whether he is going to appropriate it for his life and for Judah. And his reaction gives us hope. He removes all the idols. He restores the altar of the Lord. He pulls back people that had defected to Israel because they heard that the Lord was with Judah. He sacrifices to the Lord. He enters a covenant with the Lord to seek Him with all his heart and soul. He even requires it of the people. And then he goes a step further at the end of chapter 15. He takes on his mom. Can you imagine? His mom had built big icons to the false gods and put them up on big banners. And he says, no, those are coming down. And we're going to take down the astral poles that she's allowed. He challenges his own mom. And it says there's no war for the first 35 years of his kingdom. Everything's great, right? Perfect. We're in a good spot. We can pray. Good for Asa. No, wrong. What is it about these kings that causes them to ignore the lessons of the past of God's faithfulness and to turn against the Lord? It is dumbfounding to me. For 35 years, Asa does right. And he goes against family history and he challenges spiritual impurity and he seeks God and listens when God talks. But as chapter 16 opens, here's what we read. In the 36th year, there's always going to be a 36th year, believer. Start every day correctly. Start every year correctly. The reason we called each other to prayer Wednesday on short notice is because we needed to start correctly as a church in this new year. In the 36th year, the king of Israel, Basha, puts up roadblocks. He narrows in the borders. He tries to prevent anyone from getting into Judah. And he puts up the boundary five miles from Jerusalem. And Asa has to act. Now, look back for a minute at chapter 14 and verse 11. Here's what Asa should say again. Lord, there's no one to help us in the battle between the powerful and the weak except you. Here's what he should say again. This, Lord, is the result that we expect. Chapter 14, verse 12. You remember how you routed the Ethiopians? Well, Israel is carnal and they're against you. Lord, Basha is coming against Judah. We're your people. We have served you. We've called on you and you've given us peace. Lord, your Lord, this is your battle. Defend us. That's what he should have said. Israel were chumps spiritually. They were idol worshipers. They were carnal. They were godless. They didn't follow God. And Asa can look around his kingdom for 35 years and say God's hand has been on us. Everything is set up for Asa to keep going forward. But all of a sudden, oh, this is so aggravating. All of a sudden, he gets clever. It's such a strange response. He never prays. Instead, he gets in touch with Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram. By now, Israel and Judah are so messed up and so distracted that they don't even realize that the Arameans are getting stronger. Can you throw up that second map for me, George? Thank you. Aramea was what's now modern-day Syria. This is Judah right here. 
This is Israel right here. This is Aram. Modern day Syria, Damascus is right about there. So the Arameans, they're just going to bypass the Israelites because they don't care about the Israelites. So the Arameans are up here and they're plotting against Israel and they're plotting against Judah. They're looking for an opening. They've gotten very strong militarily. They're amassing army and they're amassing weapons and they're amassing strength. Just kind of doing it quietly. And by this point, 2 Chronicles 16, they're the strongest nation in the reason. So Asa, in his cleverness, says, I'm going to go to the enemy. Because Israel's starting to come down and, and, and bump up against me. So he calls Ben-Hadad and says, Ben-Hadad, make you a deal. I'll give you some money out of our treasury, out of the temple offerings, so to speak. He essentially raids the offerings. And he says, let's take God's money and let's give this to you, who is godless, and let's make an alliance. Ace at this point doesn't realize the cost. He's acting as a lesser than nation. He's opening the door for Aram in ways that they couldn't have possibly had without him doing this. And he not only strips the economy, but he takes what is the Lord's and gives it to God's enemies. Many times, what looks good to us, the Lord thinks is terrible. Hear that this morning. Many times, what seems good to us, the Lord says, that's a terrible idea. doesn't matter how good it seems to us, or how it will benefit us, or how much praise people will give us, if the God isn't the author of it, or didn't lead us to it, it's worthless. God is saying to Asa, when you had nothing and you depended on me, I made you secure. When the Ethiopians came up with an army twice as big as you, I took them on. We don't even have a discussion about what the army did, because I did it. And now you've got the king of Israel, Basha, you're worried about him? Just because he's come down five miles from Jerusalem, now you're going to make a deal with the devil at this point to do this? You think after 35 years of no difficulty that it would be his default to trust God. But listen, this is why the Lord sometimes gives us trials and difficulties. Because the trials and difficulties refine us and shape our minds and they tell us what's important. Some of you have been through real trials in the last year to 18 months. Some of you are in the middle of big trials right now. Let me tell you, James 1 is right. It's to refine and shape and mature you so you look at it and say, here's what's really important to me. And here's the example of God's faithful care and provision. And one thing I have to realize out of this trial is I can only rely on the Lord. Asa should have said, there is no one to help besides you, Lord, and we trust in you. But instead, he tries to solve it himself. He makes a deal that compromises his integrity. And then when the Lord challenges it, oh, here's Uzziah again, he turns away from God. Let's read the last part. We're done. Look at chapter 16, verse 7. At that time, Hanani the prophet came to Asa, king of Judah, and he said to him, 
Because you have relied on the king of Aram and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Were not the Ethiopians and Lubim an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen? God always reminds us of the past. Yet because you relied on the Lord in the past, God delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord moved to, him, moved to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You've acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. Then Asa was angry with the prophet and put him in prison and was enraged at him for this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. God never delays in dealing with rebellion. It's a good parent principle. When the child rebels, do you say, that's fine, we'll deal with it in a couple weeks. You're talking that way to me? You know what? I'm on the computer right now. We'll deal with it later. When a child rebels, you deal with it. When we rebel, God doesn't say, I'm going to wait a while. See what happens. Play it out. As soon as Asa makes the deal, um, King Hanani, the prophet, is here to see you. What's he want? Uh, He says he has a word from the Lord. All right, let him in. King, there's a problem. Notice that Hananiah doesn't speak about inferior battle strategy. He doesn't say, listen, King, Ben-Hadad's really not going to help you. He's got ulterior motives for doing this. You probably shouldn't have trusted him because I don't think he's worthy. Maybe you should talk to the... I don't know, to the Canaanites. Somebody, I don't talk to somebody else, but I don't think I don't think Syria is your help. All he says, look at the passage, is he says, You didn't rely on the Lord. That is always what it comes down to in every aspect of our lives. Did we trust the Lord? Did we trust the Lord? He is a jealous God and He's allowed to be. He promises to provide all we need to equip us and help us even when we don't know what the plan is or what's going to happen if we trust. He even says, when you don't know what to say, I'll help you. But you must trust me. That's the prerequisite. That's why God asked through Hanani, why are you trusting your wisdom? Put that in quotes. Why are you trusting your wisdom instead of me? You know, the older and more mature we get in the Lord, the more we should be trusting in the Lord. That's because maturity causes you to lose that brash, arrogant edge that says, I'm always right. It it causes us to realize that we're nothing without Him. The closer you get to the Lord, the more convinced you are that you need Him. In fact, something is wrong with our hearts if we aren't relying on Him. And that's what Hanani calls Asa to do. He says, trust him. Come on, Asa, you're blowing it. You notice he doesn't say, like he did to Uzziah, Asa, your kingdom's done. From this point on, you're finished. You're going to die a loser. He just says, because you didn't rely on the Lord, you bought yourself more wars. He doesn't take him out. Asa still has a chance at this point. But inexplicably, he listens to one prophet, Azariah, 
but he doesn't listen to another Hananiah. So right before he throws Hananiah in jail, because he's so ticked off and he's so guilty, Hananiah says, the Arameans have slipped through your hands. How did he go from this great prayer, oh Lord, you're our only help, please meet us now, it's your battle, you fight it, we'll follow. How did he go from that to, to, to this stubborn refusal? He had trusted the Lord when the enemy was twice as big and God delivered, but now he's made the Arameans stronger and wealthier and more volatile. All because he didn't trust. All because he didn't seek the Lord. But it doesn't change him. He remains defiant. And God at the end of his life gives him severe gout and it says he refused to call the Lord. He just called for the doctors. What a position to take. Listen, church, listen, believer, you're my brothers and sisters. The Lord is all we have. And if we're going to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, then we better not look at any other options than trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. There is no other option. You see, the Lord's got his own search going. Look at verse 9 and we will pray. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. The Lord is looking for people that he can strongly support. Listen to that now if you're struggling this morning. God wants to strongly support you, but he says your heart has to be fully committed to him. God is saying, who can I make strong? Who can I help this morning? Who wants my assistance? Who can I be strong on behalf of? Who's seeking me? Is there a church that's saying, Lord, show us. Lord, give us your guidance. Lord, Lord, lead us. We want it. Oh, we can't have anything but you. Is there a church saying that? Or we say, we got it, we got it. Yes, salvation and grace and mercy and all that in heaven. That's wonderful. Great, God, thank you so much. Whew, now that we got the thank you note written, we can play with the toy. God says, I'm waiting to help you. Not someone who's successful, not someone who's intelligent, not someone who's clever. He says, someone whose heart is completely his. Someone who says, God, I'm helpless. All I have is you, and all I need is you. God, be strong for me today. I don't know what I'm facing. I don't know what's ahead. But you are alive and real, and you want to help me. And Lord, my heart is given fully to you. Lord, as a church... Our heart is given fully to you. Be strong for us. Help us. Guide us. Direct us. Work through us. Minister to us. Because we want to give ourselves to you. Close your eyes for a minute. The very serious challenge being laid for us by the Holy Spirit. God's eyes are running to and fro this morning, including right here in this ballroom. 
Who can I be strong for? Who can I lift up and support? Who can I help? Can you imagine the God of the universe who answers to no one saying, I'm looking for somebody to assist. I'm just looking for somebody whose heart is given to me because I look at the heart, not the outward appearance. I look at the heart. And when I find a heart that is fully given to me, I will help them. Let me appeal to you this morning as you sit there with your eyes closed. I pray you'll not be distracted right now. Maybe you've never given your life over to him. And to be brutally honest, you've been proud and resistant and self-sufficient. I want you to know I'm not being critical this morning. Every one of us has been there and every one of us deals with it on a daily basis. But Jesus Christ died and rose again to deliver you of your inadequate self-sufficiency and to cover you with his eternal mercy. If you don't know him, if you don't know what it is to have a relationship with him, I beg you, don't leave this room today without knowing it. I'd be glad to talk to you. Randy would be glad to talk to you. There are other men and women throughout this room. Turn to the person next to you after the service and say, can you tell me? And if they can't, they'll find somebody who can. God is waiting to help you He's waiting to forgive you, but you have to ask. And you have to admit, Lord, my own ways have failed. Maybe you're hurting this morning. Many are. And you're wanting to take control and find some answers. That's an innate human response. But I've got to tell you this morning, it's never going to work. Years 1 through 35, Asa was gold. Year 36, he blew it. In one moment, he made a decision that affected the rest of his life, and then he never turned from it. You've had more time to process it. If you're hurting this morning, but you have not given yourself fully to the Lord, as a believer, I encourage you and implore you, take your hands off. Surrender yourself to him. I need to do it every hour of every day because pride is so strong and the will is so strong. Or maybe you're a believer, let me say this last, you've listened so well, and you've fallen into proud sin and you're not releasing it. It still has a hold on you and you just will not let it go. It's now a part of you. You kind of wonder, how can I escape from it? You have to walk away from it cold turkey. You can't just keep allowing a little bit of it because it'll keep infiltrating your heart. And I pray this morning that if that's you, you will say right now, Lord, I'm in bondage to sin. You know what it is, but I'm going to confess it anyway. Lord, you promise in Romans 8 that you have freed me from bondage that I don't have to be captive to it anymore, but Lord, I've been walking back into the cell and closing the door. I don't want to do it anymore. Free me and keep me free. Father, there's a lot to digest in this passage. So many things you want to teach us. 
And Lord, I pray that your spirit has spoken to every single one of us, myself included, that you are talking to us and convicting us and even encouraging us right now. Break that spirit of rebellion. Cause us to be people that remember your faithfulness. Cause us to be people that know that your mercy is sufficient for all things. Lord, as believers and as a church, we're going to keep calling on you. We're going to keep relying on you. We're not going to fall back into self-sufficiency. Help us, we pray. Father, thank you that when our hearts are given fully to you, that you help us. We love you and we praise you and we thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name.